And I want you to read with me from the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, uh, verse 8. The book of Hebrews, chapter 7, verse 8. Here's what the Bible says. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. In this chapter, the writer of Hebrews is talking about how there, that Abraham paid tithes to the priest of Salem, a man named Melchizedek. Melchizedek is actually a type of Christ. He is a priest. He is, and so when the, the writer is now talking, here's the principle he's saying to us. He is saying to us, when you bring your gifts, when you bring your tithe, when you bring your offering into the house of God, though you may put it in the hands of mortal men, though you may put it in a, in a plastic bucket and it may go into a bank, it is actually being received by our high priest, Jesus Christ in heaven. Why is that important? It's important because on Christmas Day, we remember how that long before Jesus did any miracles, long before Jesus walked on water, long before Jesus died for our sins, rose from the grave, three wise men came to Jesus and brought him very special gifts. They brought him expensive gifts. They brought him valuable gifts. And they laid them at the feet of Jesus. Why? Because first of all, he was a king. And it's unfitting to show up before a king without a gift. And secondly, it is unfitting to show up before a king on his birthday without something valuable. I want to challenge you today to bring to our king, our savior, our Lord, a very special gift. You've bought gifts for the people whom you love in your life. You've bought presents, big and small, all different ranges. But what would it be to celebrate your birthday and everyone got gifts except for you. No, it's Jesus' birthday. You say, well, Pastor Randon, we're, we're bringing an offering to the church. Yes, but when it's received here, it's actually being given to the King, our Savior, Jesus, who is in heaven right now receiving our offering. So I want to ask you to do something very special today for Jesus' birthday. Over and above your tithe that you normally do, I'm asking you to bring a special Christmas offering. It's tithe and offering time of Triumph Church this Christmas morning. <laughs> Ushers, if you would make yourself available now, and uh, we will pray over this offering, and then we'll play a quick video, and we'll dive right into the message. Father, I thank you for every giver. I thank you for every person who is choosing to come today and honor you and bring a gift. Lord, we know that even though we're putting this gift into the hands of mortal men, it will go to, to bless your kingdom. But more than that, Lord, it's a gift to you. It's from our heart to yours. It's a way of saying how much we love you. It's a way of, way of saying how much we thank you for all you've done in our lives. So Lord, bless us. Let this be the greatest Christmas we've ever had. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ushers, if you would assist us, let's go to the screens now. An angel came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. 
married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way, and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born, who is king of the Jews. The angel were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, that I have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, ring, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. So today, Jesus, we just want to say I love you and you're the best baby i ever seen. <laughs> Grab your Bibles, open with me to the book of Isaiah, if you will. Today we're concluding a series entitled God With Us. Last week we talked about how God is with us even in the storm. Our sermon in a sentence was simply this, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. I'm not going to preach long to you today, but I do want to share a few minutes with you, and then we're going to have some very special time uh, after we're done. If I were to give you our, our sermon today, it would simply be this, and I'll give it to you before we read the scripture. No matter how long it takes, God is passionately committed to seeing his promise fulfilled in your life. Here's what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, at least the first part of verse 7. For a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his, uh, its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the fr- throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. Isaiah is often called the Messianic prophet because so much of what he spoke about, so much of what God spoke through him, was prophesying about the coming Messiah. In fact, it was his words in Isaiah 61 and 1 that when Jesus decided to announce his ministry, he walked into the the synagogue and he opens the scrolls and he reads Isaiah chapter 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's faith is upon us. These are the words that he speaks. Now, here's what you have to understand. All these people were gathered around, and it was commonplace for a man at Jesus' age to stand up, read a verse, read a scripture, and then say a few words on it. But Jesus chooses these words specifically because this is a, a prophet, a, a, a passage that prophesies about the coming Messiah. He talks about what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. These are the things he's coming to do. And Jesus walks up and he doesn't say a word. Remember at this point, Jesus is just a carpenter. He's just uh, the, the little weird boy from down the street. And he walks up and he reads these words. And instead of making some commentary and preaching a little sermonette on it, he just walks to the front row and he sits down. And as everyone is staring at him and wondering what just happened, he just says, the very words that I've just read to you have been fulfilled in this moment. The place erupts because Jesus just declared, I am the Messiah that the prophet Isaiah talked about, told us about, and said was coming. Jesus loved to stir up trouble. He, he, he loved to do things like this. He, he, he loved to make a statement and cause a commotion, and that's just what he did in this moment. But, but it was the words of Isaiah he chose. Isaiah prophesied between about 740 B.C. and about 680 B.C. His prophecies covered four separate kings of Israel. And much of his prophecy came in a time where people had forgotten about God because they were so involved in the things of this world. He talks about, as you read, that there was this, these rich people in, in Israel, and they were, they were so rich that they were just, uh, they lived in luxury, they lived in idleness, they didn't care about God, they didn't turn to God, they didn't look to God, they were just trusting in their own means, chasing their own things. Then there was the poor people in Israel, and even though they were in lack, they were suffering, they never were turning to their Savior, they were never looking to God. But they complained about what they didn't have. They complained about what was, had been uh, stolen from them by the rich ruling class. And there was these two ends of the spectrum, neither of them looking to God. People were drunkards. They were full of themselves. The women were more caught up in how they looked to the world than how they looked to God. I'm not sure if any of that sounds familiar today. But it's into this world that Isaiah prophesied. Matthew, in our our core verse for this series, is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. But 
He's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7, 14, where Isaiah said this, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So when, when Matthew writes these words, when he, when he coins these words according to the Holy Spirit, he's actually quoting the prophet Isaiah. But remember, Isaiah spoke these words somewhere between 740 B.C. and 700 B.C. We don't know exactly when. If I had to guess, I would tell you it was somewhere in the middle, about 720 B.C., that, that Isaiah speaks these words. But that was over 700 years before Jesus came. And then that was nine months before Jesus was actually born. And then that was 30 years before Jesus actually did his first miracle. And that was three years before Jesus ever hit the cross. And then that was three days before he was ever raised again. You see, there was a period of waiting between when the promise was spoken and when the promise came to pass. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes on this subject. God is with us in the waiting. See, I don't know where you are, but I have some promises that have not been fulfilled. I have some words from God that I am counting on, that I'm needing to see take place, and yet they haven't. And I am asking God, I need you to be with me, even while I'm waiting. Father, I thank you for your presence. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We celebrate him and his life today. Be with us. Open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you. We thank you and we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Waiting can be a very difficult thing. Um, the angel comes to Mary and says, okay, you are now pregnant with the Son of God. You're pregnant with a baby. You're going to call him Jesus. Now, this is wonderful, but you have to understand in this moment, in this culture, Mary is suddenly going to face rejection. She's going to have to battle rejection. What am I going to tell Joseph? I'm engaged. I'm supposed to be married. I'm supposed to be a virgin. I'm not supposed to come up pregnant. Uh, and so now, it, what's he going to do? The Bible actually say, says that Joseph planned to divorce her in private. He planned to break it off with her in private. You want to talk about a rejection? All of a sudden, you come in and, and an angel surprises you out of nowhere and says you're going to carry and have the Son of God. And then your fiancé leaves you because he thinks you've been cheating on him with someone else. I didn't cheat on you with someone else. An angel came. Now I'm going to have the Son of God. But... God knew what she would face, and he already made a way. He put people in her life. He put Joseph. He spoke to Joseph and said, Joseph, you can't leave her. It's my son, and you're going to be a father to him, and you're going to raise him, and you're going to teach him, and you're going to teach him how to be a man. You, I, I, have, I have done this for her and for the world. And so before Mary had to be rejected by her fiancé, Jesus made a plan. He also gave her Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her cousin. And, and she went straight from where she was and a few days later ran to meet Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, the Bible says that when, when Mary walked into the room, 
The baby, John the Baptist, who was still in her belly, leapt within her womb, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, she knew that everything Mary said was true. She didn't reject Mary. She didn't try to get away from Mary and distance herself from Mary. But no, she pulled her in and she loved her. Mary stayed with her for several months before going back home. Why? Because God already knew. I don't know, but in my life, when I believe that God has told me something, and I believe that God has said He's going to do something for me, not everyone in my life loves it, but at times I have faced rejection because of where God is calling me to go. And I don't know if this is something that you have faced, but I know in my life it's something that I've had to battle through, and yet knowing that God has a plan. And when, he, when one walks away and rejects you, God will always have His plan in place to fill the void. Mary had to battle critics. You see, it wasn't just Joseph and it wasn't just Elizabeth, but it was the entire community that would look down upon her, that would talk about her. There's Mary. To the rest of the community, to the rest of her family, there was only two options. You could not believe that an angel had come. You could not believe she was pregnant with the Son of God. That was too unbelievable. Put it in, in, in the scope of your life. If someone, if a young girl came to you and said, I'm pregnant with the Son of God, what would you think about her? We would say, no, there's no way. No, you've been sleeping around. You've done this, you've done that, and you've shown up pregnant. And in her world, this was the ultimate criticism. It was the ultimate thing that you were not supposed to do. And so now, here she is. And day after day after day, every time she goes to the store, every time she goes to the market, every time she goes to the, to the synagogue to worship God, she's criticized, she's looked at, she's talked about. Even when Jesus is born, it's not like it goes away. Because she still contended that he was the son of God. He was born of God, not of Joseph, not of man. And so for 30 years, she's trying to convince the world that this young man is the son of God. 30 years she had to deal with her critics. The critics in our life have a way of causing us to change what we believe. Because their voice can get so loud, we begin to question and we begin to wonder. And if we're not careful, we'll end up speaking things that defy what we believe in our heart and what we believe to be true. I was, had a chance, um, one of our members in Sugarland is a Hall of Fame basketball player. His name is Tracy McGrady, and many of you have heard of him. And I had a chance to watch some basketball with him earlier this year. We watched like three games together. And I consider myself, as you know, a pretty good sports fan. I'm a fairly intelligent guy. And, I, you know, so when I'm watching sports, you, you know, I like to, like the average guy, like to talk like I know what I'm talking about. Any guys out there? You just, you know, I mean, you just, we know. And so, you know, oh, you've got to do this. What's wrong with him? You know, he's an idiot. You know, just all that kind of stuff. No, okay. You're just looking at me like, don't judge me right now. All of a sudden, I'm sitting next to Tracy McGrady, who's a Hall of Fame basketball player, one of the greatest of his time, and he is an actual ESPN analyst, so he goes on and he actually analyzes basketball. And so this funny thing took place. And Delson, I'm sitting there, and I'm talking about basketball, which I do all the time, but every time I go to say something, 
It's followed by, well, well, don't you think so? And with all the confidence that I normally speak about basketball or football or baseball or any other sport that I may or may not know anything about, and I just speak it out in confidence like I'm the smartest person in the room, suddenly there's a real basketball critic sitting, sitting next to me. And I begin to question everything I was saying. And I begin to, to well, you know, I, here, here's my thoughts, but well, well, what do you think? Now, you can mock me over it. You can laugh at me over it. said I should have been stronger, but, but you try it. He's very intelligent. And he starts calling things out and this and that, and I just felt like this big all of a sudden. Now, Tracy is a friend and a great man and, and loves God. But in that moment, the actual critic in the room caused me to doubt what I believed and doubt what I, what I thought I knew. It took me a while to get over this. Eventually, in one of these days, I'll tell you about our argument about the Golden State Warriors, and I'm pretty sure I won because he went silent on me. But for a while, it took me to, to get over the fact that the, the critics were silencing me. That's what critics do in our life. They cause you to doubt what you know. They cause you to struggle to, to say what you believe. And eventually, we, we cower down. Mary had to overcome this. What are the critics in your life saying? Mary had to overcome doubt. Listen, it's a difficult thing to believe that, that, that this was the Son of God. She had, the, the critics were so loud in her life. Do, do you, you have to know that she got to this place where you wonder, could this actually be? In fact, she says to the angel, angel, how can this be? She had to overcome doubt. There are many possible battles that we have to face during our waiting. I don't know what yours might be. I know what I face, but there are many possible battles that the enemy brings in our path to face during the waiting. But here's what Elizabeth said of Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 45. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. I want you to know this. Before she was even showing, before she was still just a couple of days pregnant, she goes to see Mary and Mary says, you're blessed not because you've already received the promise, not because you're already living in the promise, not because Jesus has already rose from the grave, but long before you're even showing, you believe that the Lord would do what he said, and there's a special blessing in that just for you. So I want you to know this morning, if you are stuck in the waiting, there is this blessing from God. The promise is not the only blessing. That's something separate. God wants to bless you while you're waiting. He wants to do something wonderful you, for you while you're waiting, if you will only believe. Did you know there was a blessing in the waiting, but it was 700 years from when Isaiah spoke? What if you had been a fly on the wall in that heavenly boardroom when, when God and, and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit were speaking? And the Father says, Jesus, this is your mission. You're going to go and save the world. You're going to reunite us with the world. But here's the cost. He looks at his son and he says, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you everything. Jesus says, but I'm God. Father says, yes, I know, but in order to make this plan work, you're going to have to become fully man. You're going to be born of a young girl named Mary. She's not your average girl. She's a girl of faith. She's a girl that is devoted to our will and is, and is just crazy enough to believe 
that we will do whatever we say we will do. I'm going to give you Joseph. He's going to be your stepdad. He won't get much airtime in the Bible. He might make the nativity scene, but that'll be about it. But he's a good man. He's going to teach you how to be a carpenter. Jesus, you've got to understand, you're, you're going to leave the glory of heaven and you're going to make your way down to earth. You're not going to be born in a palace, but you'll be born in a barn with a bunch of animals. He said, I'm doing this because I want everyone to know that I came for them. Whether you're rich or for your, whether you're poor, I came for everyone. But Jesus, you've got to know this. Before you even walk, before you're even old enough to, to walk around, Herod's going to try to kill you. Your family will run for their lives trying to save you. Jesus, they're not, he's not going to kill you. You're going to grow up. You're going to be a kid. You're going to have power as a kid, but he said, I, I don't want you to use it. Just because you don't want to take a bath doesn't mean you get to part the waters. Just because you don't want to eat your vegetables doesn't mean you get to turn it into a brownie. No, Jesus, you can't use your power yet. But you're going to learn to work as a carpenter. You're going to learn to serve people. They're not going to value you much. They're not going to think of you much. They're going to think of you just as a carpenter. But he said, I want you to learn to serve people. And I want you to get comfortable with wood. Because the very wood that you get comfortable learning how to use will one day be used to hang you on a cross for the sins of the world. Jesus, when you start your ministry, you're going to turn water into wine. And for 2,000 years later, Christians will still be debating whether the wine was alcoholic or non-alcoholic. A few of you are laughing because you've had the conversation. That's a... You're going to heal the sick. You're going to open dead ears. You're going to raise the dead to life. But here's the problem. In the midst of all of this, they're still going to hate you. How's this sounding so far, Jesus? Well, I mean... It sounds okay. Here's the deal, Jesus. You must show our love. Instead of rejecting the lepers, you have to touch the lepers and heal them. Instead of hating the prostitutes and belittling the prostitutes, you're going to befriend the prostitutes. Instead of rejecting those that religion has rejected, you're going to love them. The more you love, the more they are going to hate you. But Jesus, you keep loving. Why? Because love isn't what we do. It's what we are. You're going to make some good friends. We're going to call them disciples. There's going to be 12 of them. You're going to teach them. They're going to make mistakes. But Jesus, they're going to change the world. Love them. Teach them. Be with them. But Jesus, you've got to know that Peter, he's going to deny you. It's going to hurt you. But love him anyway. Pray for him anyway. Because you're going to need him. And Jesus, there's going to be one friend. His name is Judas. He's going to betray you with a kiss. He's going to cost you your life. He's going to be the one where you end up hanging on a cross because of his betrayal. But Jesus, don't treat him any differently just because you know what he's going to do. Love him anyway. Why? Because Jesus, I need you to show the world that no matter what they do, they've never gone too far for us to love them and show them the grace and our love and our mercy. They're going to arrest you. They're going to mock you. They're going to beat you in the cross. Jesus, it's worse than you can imagine. In fact, it's the most gruesome means of torture that man has ever invented. They will beat you until you don't even look human. And that wood I told you about, they're going to force you to carry it. And then they're going to nail you to it and set you up as a mockery 
above the world. Jesus, remember, I will never leave you, but in this moment, in this moment, you will become the sins of the world. You're you're not just going to take it on, but you will become every sin, both past, present, and then finally in the future. And you are going to feel that I have forsaken you. But Jesus, in that moment when you're hanging on the cross, can you remember the plan? Can you remember the word? You're going to hurt. You're going to die. But when you die, you won't be down long. But you have three days. And in those three days, you have another job to do. You've got to conquer sin, death, hell, the grave. You've got to conquer the devil once and for all. So while you're down there, get back on the plan because in three days the stone's going to be rolled away and you're going to be raised from the grave and the world will never ever be the same again but father why go through all of this and the father says because i promised that i would save them And I never, ever, ever go back on my word. In fact, as I told Isaiah, when I told him I I was sending you to be a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and the Prince of Peace and the Everlasting Father, I went on to say this in verse 7. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So here's God saying to Jesus and to the whole world, no matter how long it takes, no matter what it looks like, no matter the difficulties, no matter how long you were in the waiting, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, he said, the passionate commitment of all of our armies, of all of heaven, of all the angels, of the host of angels, will make it happen in your life. Can I tell you this Christmas Eve that no matter how long it takes, God is passionately committed to seeing his promises fulfilled in your life will you believe even in the waiting for if you would there's a special blessing for you God is committed to seeing his will done in you his promises done in you if you're alone he promises to be your companion if you're sick he promises healing if you're lost he promises to be your guide if you're hurting he's a comforter if you're weak he is your strength if you're being attacked he'll be your defender if you're afraid He is the peace of God. If you're stuck in sin, He is our Savior. I want to pray for you today. If you're in the waiting, hang in there. Don't stop. Keep believing. Keep trusting. And there's a blessing just for you. Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you that you are blessing those of us who are still in the waiting, those who have got a promise, those who have gotten a word, but yet it hasn't come to pass just yet. Lord, I believe that you have good things in store for us. Encourage us. Overshadow us with your Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, I know that you are passionately committed to seeing your promise come to pass in the life of your people. Lord, I am believing that 2018 is a year of promises fulfilled and you are committed to it. And strengthen us, encourage us. In your name we pray, amen.